I just need to get my, um, grab my micellar water because I'm a clean bit. I'm not because I like to dress up for this podcast. You like to dress up for it? Look at my eye makeup today. No, oh my god, I've got a photo I have to send to you and it's of me last year and I put highlighter on my whole face <laughs> when I was procrastinating and I walked outside and Becky took a photo with the flash on. <laughs> and it's so funny. I look like a tiny tummy son. How do I look? I think I'm gonna. T- I look like fresh. fucking Roxy off Tracy Beaker with my hair scraped back and hoops. <laughs> <laughs> no one will know who that is. <laughs> right, so let me tell you about work. We'll probably cut most of this out, but if we don't cut some of it out, then I've just been at work for like six hours. And, oh, you're moisturising. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna wipe my makeup up with moisturiser tonight because I'm lazy. What the fuck is with everyone doing this shit at the moment? I went to Jay's the other day and I go, oh, can I borrow some makeup remover? She goes, no, I use water. Who the fuck <laughs> uses water to take no, off I a don't full use face water. of makeup? I've got um, my cellar water next door. I just can't be fucking arsed to go next door and get it. You literally lab. <laughs> it works just as well. Look. Yeah. Oh, hi, I'm talking to my dogs, not you. <laughs> No, I've got my dogs out here just checking them. <laughs> <laughs> what just happened? What just happened? Kill <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is why you don't talk to your neighbours. <laughs> I literally. <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's twenty past nine. should get like a maybe we should edit it in each time we should just record it once on oh, no, it then people would know yeah i just can't say hello and sound enthusiastic just say it like you've just fucking i've just said it to my neighbors outside <laughs> what are you doing oh hi <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> now it is i can't look at them again welcome back everyone to episode eight hi yeah we're nearly at 10 episodes now mad this is my dignity by the way oh yeah welcome to our podcast about murder in case you clicked on the wrong thing and now you're not quite sure what you're listening to so we talk about murder and we laugh a bit but not about the murder we just laugh around it yeah so yeah, if you hear background noise, Amy, we there's someone in Amy's house and we don't know who it is. Yeah. But it's fine. So. <laughs> that sounds so bad. <laughs> I have a quick pod mod for yeah. last week. Yeah. I forgot to say that I got all my research from Wikipedia. So I hate to be that person that doesn't like credit where I got oh, all my shit from. I don't remember where I got my research from last week. Probably like a thousand news articles. I think you articles. said it. I think you said yours. Because I think that's what reminded me and I was like, fuck. I haven't said where I've got any of this from. Well, all of mine this week's from two documentaries on YouTube and Wikipedia. 
And maths just on Wikipedia. We, we love a bit of wiki. A bit of wiki. Go you donate to Wikipedia. It's keeping us in a podcast. Yeah. Please. I donated to them today because I was like, you know what? I take advantage of this website. <laughs> um, I have a funny thing. When I was walking back from the gym today, I found myself thinking, I, I basically, there's this website called, like, Reading Uni Girls Walking Home, and mm-hmm. people post on there when weird shit happens to them, and, like, when their houses get broken into and stuff, and, like, is anyone walking here for, at this time? So it's, like, a really Did nice little... Did you post little, your thing? What? Did you post your thing? What thing? Oh, no, I didn't. guys fucking harassing you. No, I didn't, but I should have. But now it's too late. But anyway, so I was reading that whilst I was in the library, right? And then I started walking home and I was like what looking you should around. What should be doing me. in the library? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was like walking home and I was like, checked the time and I was like, okay, so it's seven o'clock now. And then I looked over and I was like, and there's people playing football. And then I carried on walking and I was like, okay, there's a group of people standing outside the gym now. And then I, I was thinking, the only reason I'm doing this is so that if I went missing, the police could piece together where I was at what time and who would have witnessed me. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, why is this how my brain? I always now? do that. Yeah, but I, I was like putting that. together how the police investigation would go. Not even like what would I say because I'd be the one that was gone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but do you not think like if you go out somewhere on your own, especially at night, you're like, oh, these are the last people that saw me. Yeah, every time. Yeah, That's what I was doing. I always make sure I like tell people when I'm leaving. Like if I'm going out and I'm going on my own, I always text Gary or someone or like a friend, being like, oh, by the way, like I'm I'm off out. On yeah. My own. I should do that. I feel like there's like five day periods where like no one sees me at all. I go I go off the radar for weeks. <laughs> I just don't text anyone. People are texting me and I'm just like, oh cool, and then just not replying. I'm the worst person. Okay. Is, is it murder time? It's murder time. <laughs> Who's first? That's become a thing now. What? Is it murder time? It's murder time, yeah. <laughs> I think it's me this week. Because you did the candy. I man. think it is you. Yes. Okay. It's you. So, I'm doing the Suffolk Strangler. Why did I say that so weirdly? Strangler? Strang- strang- strangler? Strangler. 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 Yeah, <laughs> I can speak. <laughs> Ready? Okay. Let's go. Do, 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 do. <laughs> no one can see me dancing. Okay, I'm gonna go. So, in it, switch. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. <laughs> in it, switch. <laughs> I feel like I should sound less happy about this. In it, switch oh, between the 30th of October and the 10th of December in 2006, the bodies of five murdered women were found in different locations around Ipswich. <laughs> Did you know it's in Ipswich? <laughs> <laughs> How to write a sentence with Amy. <laughs> How to fill up that word count on your essay. <laughs> Sometimes I write messages and I write lol at the start and the end and I'm like, who am I? (laughs) I'm that, yeah, I'm that person. Right, so the bodies were naked and two of them were found to have died from asphyxiation. And the three others, there was no cause of death that could be found because they were like found in water and stuff, but I'll explain all of that. So... Steve Wright was 48 at the time and was arrested on suspicion of murder on the 19th of December 2006. He was charged on the 21st of December and the trial began and had a lot of media attention because of, like, he was really compared to Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh. 
yeah, it was actually mad. I've never seen that many people in Ipswich before. In Ipswich, yeah. <laughs> in Ipswich, if you didn't know. <laughs> so, Stephen Wright was born in Norfolk Village. No, that doesn't... North, sorry. Honestly, today I kept replacing the word water with rock when I was writing my essay, and I was like... <laughs> I was like, the rock cycle is when water evaporates. And I was like, I'm... basically, I just can't function today. So Stephen Wright was born in a small village called Erpingham in Norfolk in, in April 1958. He was one of four kids and his mother left the family when they were eight years old. So he didn't enjoy school and afterwards joined the Navy straight away. So in 1978, he married and had one son and he later divorced. And then in, in 1987, he remarried, and in 1988, they separated and divorced. Oh. Yeah, so he doesn't Successful. have a very good... Yeah. <laughs> so after leaving the Navy, he worked as a dock worker, a steward, a lorry driver, a barman. He even tried to buy his own pub, and then it went under in, like, a month or something ridiculous. So, like, he wasn't very successful. And at the time he was caught, he was working as a forklift driver. But... When he was working as a barman for a hotel, he was caught stealing money out of the till and his DNA was entered into the UK database. Oh. Mm-hmm. Dumbass. Why would you commit another crime after that? They've got you. Well, I mean, he committed quite a lot of other crimes after that. But yeah. <laughs> okay. So, he was a gambling addict and he had a lot of debt and in the year... 2006 he was declared bankrupt so i'm pretty sure this is like the point you know this was the point where he was like fuck it may as well kill five women so he twice attempted suicide that year from co2 co2 (laughs) you're right no (laughs) from carbon monoxide poisoning from like doing that tube in the back of the exhaust in in the the window and an overdose of prescribed medication he met his girlfriend at the time in 2001 and she was called pamela wright as well funnily enough they weren't married they just had the same surname but um they moved in together in 2004 so he'd always slept with sex workers ever since he joined the navy when he was 20 years old and he continued doing this throughout his whole life and he was 48 when he was arrested and apparently pamela was fine with it i mean each their own but pamela's lying don't be sleeping with no other girls while you're with... On the 2nd of December 2006, the police found body of um, a body in Belstead Brook. This was identified as Gemma Adams, and she was 25 years old at the time of her death. Six days later, on December 8th, the body of Tanya Nichols was found, um, who was also a friend of Adams, in Copdock Mill, which was like two miles downstream from this Belstead Brook. So they think they both were dumped in the same site. And she'd been missing since the 30th of October. From these two bodies, police could find no forensic evidence that they'd literally been submerged in water. But um, they decided that this the killer must have been quite an organised killer because he'd obviously dumped them in water, so there would be no forensic evidence. Yeah. So at the time, they were like combing through CCTV images and they could see Tanya Nichols getting into a car, but... It was, like, too dark to see the number plate, and, like, they literally couldn't notice, like, they couldn't read anything. They just saw it was, like, a small, dark car on the last night that she was ever seen. So, 
Two days after this body was found, the third body was found in a woodland area just off the A14, and this was later identified as 24-year-old Anneli Alderton, and she had been three months pregnant at the time of her death, and this was the first victim that they could actually tell a cause of death, and it was called, in England we call it airway obstruction, apparently. This is the most heartbreaking part of the story, I think. So now there's a massive search out for more bodies because there's two other women missing. So on December 12th, the police announced that two more bodies have been found. And these were the bodies of 24-year-old Paula Klenel, who had been missing since the 10th of December. And the other body was 29-year-old Annette Nichols, who had disappeared on December 5th. Both were found near the A1156. (coughs) And when they were found, initially they just found the body of... um, Paula and they had a helicopter out searching so the woman was like okay in the helicopter in the documentary the woman's like okay I'm just gonna have a look around like the surrounding area and see if there's any other evidence and she pans the camera across and literally 10 meters up the road there's another body what's they found it by accident they thought they were there for Pamela yeah and they found another body literally 10 meters away dumped in the exact same way and these bodies were both found naked and positioned in the crucifix position what the fuck man which is so fucked up so all of the victims were sex workers and picked up from the Ipswich red light district which I didn't even know was a thing Mm -hmm. but um, at the time police were desperate like putting out warnings for girls not to go out by themselves or to this area They stopped over 500 cars in this area and interviewed over 2,000 individuals. So, um, I'm going to talk you through the victims because I feel like... Yeah, I'm just going to talk about them. So, the first victim was Tanya Nicholl and she attended um, Chantry High School. But she left home when she was 16 and she'd originally worked for a massage parlour but she... Um, became a sex worker because she was addicted to drugs but um, she kept in really close contact with her mum but her mum was unaware of her work and she was actually the one that reported her missing as she thought she didn't come home from her job because she basically thought she worked at like a hair salon and her mum hadn't heard from her so she like called the police and was like she's missing so that was on the 30th of October okay so the second victim Gemma Gemma Adams was um a popular during secondary school from a really like quite a rich middle class family but um she turned to sex working due to her drug addiction um her partner who was basically the one who reported her to the police as well and there's a load of like footage of him like putting out statements like searching for her but um he said that they regularly kept in contact she'd text him like every half an hour to like make sure she was okay and he was like obviously really upset but um she was found naked but she wasn't sexually assaulted or anything victim number three was Anneli I don't know if I'm saying her name right but it's spelled A-N-N-E-L-I I've never heard that name before what is it? A-N-N-E-L-I oh yeah I don't know if anyone knows how to pronounce it then let us know I wouldn't know how to pronounce any different though no 
So she already had one child and she was in the early stages of pregnancy when she was killed. She was living with her mum in Cyprus, but when her parents divorced, she moved back to Ipswich. And she was addicted to drugs since her father passed away from lung cancer earlier in the year. And she was positioned in the crucifix position when she'd been killed or when she'd been dumped. Why in the crucifix position? I don't know. It's really fucked up. It's really fucking weird. Imagine how freaked out you'd be if you found a body, let alone if it was positioned like that. So Annette Nichols was victim number four and she was found naked and not raped and also positioned in the crucifix position. She was the oldest victim. She was 29 years old and also a drug addict. She um, was living with a boyfriend at the time and her son was being looked after by her mother so he didn't have any contact with like her or her work or anything. And then there's porn... Paula Clonell, and this is the saddest one for me because in the documentary you see an interview with her after the first three women had gone missing. She's interviewed by the police and she's interviewed by uh, like a news, um, what's it called? Did I write it down? No, I just wrote a news interview. But um, yeah, it's like filmed and they're basically saying like, why are you out here on the streets tonight? And she's like, oh, I just need the money, like. I can't eat and stuff. Oh my god. And, um, yeah, she was also good friends with the other women that went missing, and she's interviewed by police as well, like, a week before she went missing. <laughs> Just to, like, ask about so where she bad. last saw the other women. Yeah. So, she was found naked but not raped again, and she was, um, a mother of three, which is really sad. I don't know, this is why I, I think that, like, sex work should be legal in like legalized so people can do it in like safer conditions do you know what i mean because it's gonna happen initially in the police investigation they arrested tom stevens as when they interviewed him he admitted that he knew all of the women and he had slept with all of them and all of the women had been back to his home he'd also has no alibi for any of the murders so what yeah i know so that's basically they were like dude this is fucking you yeah <laughs> you would we know think it's you. yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. However, when the three women, the three final victims were found on land, forensic evidence showed that a tiny, tiny amount of DNA from the dude who did it. And um, they... Oh, do you remember yeah, doing... it was male DNA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember doing studying polymerase chain reaction? Yeah, I actually had it. Yeah, they they did yeah. that to like oh. m- build up this amount of DNA, and they found a hit linking all of the five bodies to Stephen Wright because he stole some money from a till when he was working in a hotel. Don't steal from tills, kids. Yeah, he wasn't even um, like on their radar at all. They'd interviewed him at a road check in the red light district. Oh my god. Yeah. But oh he wasn't God. one of their suspects at all. Once you got your, once they've got your DNA, that's it. I know, right? It's like the Golden State Killer. Don't be dumb. Yeah. Or just like, don't steal and don't like, kill women. <laughs> don't. Like, don't be fucking dumb. They placed Stephen Wright under 24-hour surveillance and then arrested him as he left his home. He answered every single question with no comment. However, they oh. still charged him with the murder of all five women. They impounded his car and all of his clothes and they linked fibre evidence from, um, from, um, 
his like uh, car to all of the women's bodies and they found they did that thing where you put a light on and see if there's blood left on clothes they did that on his jacket and they found all of the women's blood on there or like four of them or something so yeah what luminol yeah and then they tested it and then they were like this is all of the women's blood on your jacket like what the fuck this is so incriminating like even if you answer no comment we're still going to charge you with all five murders like you idiot yeah yeah so police also re-examine the CCTV from that night and they find that his car not only matches the car that um, Tanya Nichol got into that night, but also was found on, it was seen passing CCTV cameras on every night that one of the women disappeared on. So he wasn't even like intelligent about it. Yeah, so they called him an like, organised you know killer. Oh, so maybe that's why, um, like you said, like he literally went bankrupt and was like, you know what, fuck it. May as well. What have I got to live for if like, I've got that no must money? Be, well, that must be how he thought because there can't be any other, like... No. Like, a lot of these killers think sensibly. It's like you he tried with the least. first two to hide the evidence by putting them into, like, water and then he got cocky because they he didn't find they didn't find them for two months and then they found all of them within a ten-day period. So he must have panicked oh. and been like, oh, shit. Yeah. But, like, leaving bodies on the side of the road, like, you are going to get caught. Obviously okay so when it came to the trial his defense lawyer tried to get him off by saying that he had sex with all of the victims apart from tanya nichols for some reason but he didn't kill them and he dropped them back to where they were at the red light district that night even though there's no cctv of this and you can literally see tanya nichols standing on the corner where she was picked up and then never go back there so he said that he didn't know this was the red light district and he was just driving around because he couldn't sleep what, every single fucking night? Yeah. You so can't sleep. Go make yourself some, I don't know, go have some chamomile or something, chamomile. Yeah, Where have a cup of tea, tea, read a book, don't go drive around the red light district, pick up a woman and murder her, like. Just don't drive. If you if you can't sleep, <laughs> the chances are you're like, you're either like not going to sleep or you're just going to pass out. Like, they're yeah. your two options. Why risk it? Because you'll just get tired driving around. Yeah. So the prosecution insisted that the jury were taken to every single one of the dump sites for the women, which I was like, yes. yes. So, yeah. After the trial, the jury um, took eight hours to decide that he was guilty of all five murders and he was sentenced to life in prison and the judge advised that he never be let out, never oh. be ready for parole. Really? Yeah. Did he get that? I don't know. I don't think he did, but I think he just got a life sentence and then whenever he comes up for parole, they'll be like, nah. They'll read his file and be like, no. (laughs) Lol. Yeah. So he appealed once in 2008 and once in 2009 and both of these appeals were rejected and he's currently appealed again. when did he go to prison? 2006. Oh, it's appealed. I thought it meant like, in my head, then it went to parole i was like how the fuck is he up up for parole no 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 appeal and then in 2012 he appealed for a third time and i don't think it's been rejected or like no decision's been made yet but it probably will be let's be honest yeah because he's a piece of shit so yeah that's fun stephen wright the suffolk strangler shall i do my murder yeah go on is it just one just a murder oh wow okay yeah i'm excited we're going back in history of this one. Okay. And so I'm doing the Burke and Hare murders. 
And you don't know this one, do you? No. I feel like you might know. So let me know if you, like, know it. So, we're going to go back in time, and we're in Edinburgh. Oh, I've never been to Edinburgh. Apparently it's really nice. And I really want to. I want to go to the Christmas markets there this year. Did you know that um, there's a museum in Budapest called Murder, about, like, murder, and I didn't go to it when I went there? (laughs) Oh. I know. (laughs) Well, we're nearly at 1,000 followers, so we can go to the True Crime Museum. So, we're going to Edinburgh in the early 19th century, so that's the early 1800s, okay? Mm, I love England and their weird way of counting years. <laughs> so, Edinburgh was a leading, was leading, the, like, oh, this is all from Wikipedia, by the way, like, I shamelessly say that I copy and pasted this about half an hour before we needed to um, record, love because... That. I wrote mine all out. I've been at work every <laughs> single night this week. Amy Hand wrote all of her notes, and I'm just like, yeah, copy and paste that, copy and... Okay, so, <clears throat> I changed the order a bit, though, so it's good. Right, so... <laughs> I'm not claiming that it's mine, I'm just reading it out. Okay. So, Edinburgh was leading, like, Europe in an anatomical study. Um, <gasps> so this is when... Everyone's kind of learning, like, where everything in the body is, but, like, and they're saying, you know what, actually, drilling a hole in people's head, probably not going to fucking do a lot of probably shit. Probably not, no. So, um, so there was a demand for cadavers or dead bodies. I know. I think I know this, you know. Um, I think you do, but don't say anything. I wait, no, I I've got to tell it. Right, so. Wouldn't want to spoil Scottish it. law. <laughs> Scottish law required... That corpses that were used for medical research only come from people who had either died in prison, suicide victims, or from like orphans. So basically, like no one had any say over their bodies. That's okay. So unfair. And the shortage of corpses. I mean, we're talking England, 18, early eighteen, eighteen hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing was um, fair. <laughs> Still isn't. <laughs> the shortage of corpses led to the increase in body snatching by what were known as resurrection men. Um, so this is where they used to go and like get the bodies from freshly dug graves. So this became all this also like meant that there was an increase in measures to ensure that graves weren't disturbed by these resurrection men. Did and you they ever used watch... this thing sorry, go on. Did you ever watch that horrible histories episode about this? No. Oh my god! It was when they started doing the game. They did the game show about it, and you had to like rob a grave and not get caught. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I know. I used to love horrible history. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. So sorry. They used this thing called a mort safe, right? And I looked at a photo of it. I'm actually gonna put. I'll show you a photo of it. They're literally like big iron cages that they used to put over graves like really like big heavy metal and it would be like in the graveyards and stuff that are close to medical schools so that (laughs) people wouldn't dig up the graves so the situation was kind of confusing because disturbing a grave was a criminal offense um as it was taking the property from the deceased but stealing the body wasn't because you can't own a body, and that's still the same under law today. Like you can't own a body. You can't own. There's a case that I did with when we did theft, and basically these 
people stole a body from the morgue, but because you can't steal a body, they got charged with stealing the shroud that covered the body. You know, like the cloth? Yeah. <laughs> and they got, like, a lot of time for it. But yeah. that's what they were officially charged with because you can't get charged with stealing a body. Fair. Yeah, it's I can see that, yeah. So, I, think, I mean, I think you should. Like, yeah, you can't own them, but I've been... Since when was that, anyway. like, taken into account? Yeah. Maybe it so, should just be like mutilation. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I think like mutilation. Yeah, surely. Anyway, so the price per corpse changed depending on the season. <laughs> um. So it was eight pound in the summer because warmer temperatures meant that they decomposed faster. <laughs> So they weren't, like, top quality. And they were £10 in the winter um, because the cold, the temperatures meant that they could store corpses for longer. Nice. Okay. So, by the 1820s, the residents of Edinburgh had were, like, protesting in the streets at the increase in grave robbing. And there were, like, um, different ways that they would stop people like stealing from the graves so there were guards that were hired to watch graves watch towers were built in several graveyards um families hired it's literally it's bizarre and that's why i'm talking about it so much so um there some families hired a large stone slab to be placed over a grave for a short period of time until the body would like decay imagine hiring a stone slab for your grave (laughs) Who wants imagine that on Facebook Marketplace? Large stone, stone slab for sale. <laughs> Free for collection <laughs> from this graveyard. <laughs> okay, um what else did they do? They obviously used the more safe and they basically like if you were walking around in the eighteen twenties, you'd be looking at the graveyard to see it and like looking in the graveyards to see if anyone would be kept, like digging for bodies because no one liked it but it was also like a like 10 pound back then is a lot of money yeah that's like a hundred pound yeah so um so <laughs> they this was basically this obviously progressed and this is where Burke and Hare come in. And the his- and historian Tim Marshall considers that this situation that was happening, and this is a quote that says, Burke and Hare took grave robbing to its logical conclusion. Instead of digging up the dead, they accepted lucrative incentives to destroy the living. So. Oh my God. We'll talk a bit about the doctor first. Because, and then we'll go into their back history a bit. So, do- the doctor was, um... He was called Knox and he was an, at- an anatomist who qualified as a doctor in 1814. Um, he undertook service as an army physician in the Battle of Waterloo in 1815. 15, sorry, and then he settled down in Edinburgh in 1820. In 1825, he became a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, where he lectured on anatomy and he undertook dissections twice a day. Um, and his advertising said that there would be a full demonstration on fresh anatomical subjects as part of every course he delivered. 
fresh. So, I love that description. Love that. Actually, you know what? The other day I was talking about a baby and I called it a fresh baby, like a fresh newborn yeah. baby. And I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't describe it like that. That's funny. Um, thanks. <laughs> you sound like it. It sounds like it was. That's just how we talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, um,. Claire Taylor, who was his biographer in Dictionary of National Biography, observes that he built... Um, that's a, I'm just reading this now. Um, he built up a formidable reputation as a teacher and lecturer and almost single-handedly raised the profile of the study of anatomy in Britain. And another biographer, Isabel Ray, suge- suggested that like, with, without Knox, the study of anatomy in Britain might not have progressed as it did. I mean, for the I mean, greater he wasn't good. He was a good guy. Yeah. He was shady. For the greater good, though, you know. Mm. We've all got to cut corners I mean... to make our way in the world. Doesn't usually no, involve we don't. bodies. <laughs> or murder. <laughs> yeah. So, let's talk about William Burke. Let's do it. He was born in 1792 in Ireland and he had a comfortable upbringing. They both joined the British Army. Um, he served in Donegal Milita... Militia... 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 Fuck. Great. Okay. I think it's Donegal as well. But he served in Donegal militia until he met and married a woman from County Mayo. <laughs> County Mayo. You could be saying anything to me right now and I'd be like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the marriage was short-lived and he got, he deserted his wife. They didn't get divorced, he just deserted her in 1818. Nice guy. Um, then he moved to Scotland and became a labourer. He worked on the Union Canal and he settled in the village of, village of Madiston near Falkirk. And he set up a home with Helen McDougall, whom he affectionately nicknamed Nellie. What a nice name. So, I know I like that last name yeah. as well. So, after a few years, when the works on the canal were finished, they moved up to Edinburgh in November 1827 and they became hawkers, selling second-hand clothes like to locals there. He became a cobbler, oh which God. is obviously one of them people that make shoes. Yeah. Um, he earned upwards of a pound a week. That's very successful. Yeah. Um, he became low locally as an industrious and good human man who entertained his clients by singing and dancing to them on their doorsteps while plying his trade. Could you imagine? That's fucking weird. So he also was... Um, <laughs> He was seldom seen without a Bible and became a regular worshipper um, at religious meetings held in in the grass market. I don't know what that is or where it is. (laughs) So, William Hare, this is why they're called Burke and Hare because they both got the same first name. Mm -hmm. So, William Hare was probably born in um, Londonderry or Newry. Probably. <laughs> so, yeah, it doesn't say that he where he was born. His age and year of birth are unknown. 
When he had arrested in 1828, he gave his age as 21, but one source states that he was born between 19... 1792 and 1804. So he basically, they don't know. He's ageless. Well, it's 1800s, isn't it? They were just like, oh, you've had a baby? No one gives a fuck. It's going to die soon. <laughs> Does, Does it have the plague yet? Probably. <laughs> Was that a bit before? I don't really know what year they things were like, happened. This was the time when people didn't name their kids because they were like, oh, we're not going to give you a name until you reach at least the age of seven because you might die and we don't want to get attacked. <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. No. That's literally what they used to do. That's hilarious. You know what I just thought of then, that Horrible Histories episode where they're like, child number five, come over here. And like, they're, talk- they're calling them numbers. Yeah. This because they had like twenty kids because they knew that like three quarters of them would die before the age of five. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's possible that he worked in Ireland and stuff, but obviously he didn't give a lot of details. So he worked on the Union Canal as well for seven years before moving to Edinburgh in the mid eighteen twenties, where he worked as a coal man's assistant. Um. He's basically like they don't really know much about him by the looks of this. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> by the looks of Wikipedia, they they don't they didn't do their research well enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, it seems like he basically lied about a lot, and they were like, we don't know whether he got married. They don't He's know that guy. Happened. He's the guy um, your dad knows who, like, does, like, brings around, like, fake DVDs that, like, he's just burned, you know, onto, like, random discs back when you were, like, 12. Yeah. He's the scam, scammer. Okay. So, we don't really know much about it. Basically, Brian Bailey, in his History of the Murders, describes her as illiterate and uncouth, a lean, quarrelsome, violent and amoral character with the scars from old wounds about his head and brow. And they've got, like, a death mask. <gasps> yeah. Oh, my God. We'll put I the photo on Instagram. Shit. They're really scary. They've got, like, a life mask and a de- death mask. I can't remember which is which. Like, which has which. Oh, okay. So, in 18... <laughs> you done? Sorry, yeah, I've got the hiccups. In 1827... Burke and McDougall went to Midlothian, I don't know, to work on the harvest where they met her. So then the men became friends with Burke and McDougall returned to Edinburgh. They moved into Hare's Tanner's Close lodging house where the two couples soon acquired a reputation for hard drinking and boisterous behaviour. Great. Okay. So... On the 29th of November, 1827, Donald, a lodger in Hare's house, died of a dropsy shortly before receiving a quarterly army pension while owing £4 of back rent. So, basically, this guy died of dropsy. Fuck knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'll look it up. What is that? Short, it's an old-fashioned term for... Edema. <laughs> A condition characterised by an excess of watery fluid collecting in the cavities or tissues of the body. <laughs> so he was just... He was like a waterbed, like... <laughs> I imagine he makes that noise when he walks about. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, Hare basically was like, he owed me £4, and he is now he's dead, so I'm not going to get it. So I'm going to sell his body for 8 
so Burke is basically like, right, let's sell his body to an, an anatomist. So, um, the, a carpenter provided a coffin for the burial, which was paid for by the local parish. So, <laughs> yeah, they made the church pay for a coffin, and then after he left, they opened up the coffin and removed the body, which they hid under the bed. Then they filled the coffin with bark and resealed it. And then after dark, on the day the coffin was removed for burial, they took the corpse to Edinburgh University, where they looked for a purchaser. LMAO. So, <laughs> so on the way, like while they were there, they asked for directions to Professor Munro, who they basically heard that w- would set, would buy it. So a student sent them to Knox's house, <laughs> where they um, Knox uh, basically said, "Okay, we'll give you. T- I'll give you ten pound, seven pound and ten shillings for this." <laughs> took four pound and five shillings, while Burke took the balance of three pound and five shillings. Hare's larger share was to cover his loss from his rent. So Burke was like, you can, I did him a solid. I gave him the extra yeah. He took the extra part. Okay. Right, so. Maybe we should put on Scottish um, accents since it's in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when Burke confessed, he said that as him and Hare left the university, um, one of Knox's assistants told him that like they'd be glad to see him again if they had another body to dispose of. Mm. How shady is that? Like... If yeah. you have another body. You know what, I'd be concerned if you had another body. Yeah. So, there's no, like, set agreement as to when, how... They killed 16 people in total. <gasps> yeah. There's no agreement as to, like, what order the murders took place. So, right. Burke made two confessions, but he gave different sequences for the murders in each statement. The first was an official one, given on the 3rd of January in 1829. Um... And the second was a form of an interview with, like, a newspaper that was published on the 7th of February, 1829. So it changed. So, basically, you can't remember. Mm. And then this, both of them were different to the order that Hare gave. Although the pair agreed... Okay. Although the pair, like, agreed... <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Although the pair agreed on like, how the murders took place, but they didn't agree the order. Yeah. So, um, they agree, most sources agree that the first murder in January or February of 1828 was that of a miller named Joseph, who was lodging at Hare's house, or Abigail Simpson, who was a salt seller. Right. The historians consider that Joseph was more likely and that a pillow we'd used to smother him. Um, while later, like, they were smothered by hand or over the nose and mouth. Right. So they, the, not there's a novelist, Sir Walter Scott, who said that um, Miller was more likely as the first victim because there was, in quote, an additional motive to reconcile him to the deed, which basically he had a fever and he was becoming delirious. delirious so he was ill. So they were basically yeah. like, you're gonna die anyway, mate. As well. They were helping yeah, him, out. him out of his misery. Yeah. Um, so, Hare and his wife were concerned that having a potentially infectious lodger would be bad for business, um, and Hare basically went to Burke and was like, you'll never guess what, like, I've got this really bad lodger, he's really ill, and like, I don't want people to think that they can't come here, so Burke was like, hey, I know what we can do, yeah, so... 
this is where their like technique was formed of how they kill people yeah. and it's literally called burking really? okay and hair would like suffocate the victim put his hand and nose over the mouth while burke would like sit or lay on the victim's chest like compressing their lungs and pushing oh. the air out of their body Fair enough. and it basically i don't know what how it works but i think it was something to do with the fact that it would um Oh, hang on, it says it here. <laughs> so, um, it says that his weight stifled movement and the ability to make noise, and it prevented the chest from expanding. So, like, he can't, even if they could yeah. breathe through Hare's hand, like, it wouldn't make a difference. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and there's a writer called Rosner who said, that the method would have been practically undetectable until the era of modern forensics. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't leave a mark. Until they knew what airway obstruction was. Yeah, and, like, what it meant when people's eyes, blood vessels, like, popped. Mm. So, um, they took the corpse to Knox, who paid them £10 this time. The order of the next two victims is unclear, so they think it was Abigail Simpson next. She was a pensioner who lived in the nearby village of Gilmerton and visited Edinburgh to supplement her pension by selling salt. Um, on the 12th not of bodies. February, 18... No, not bodies. <laughs> 1828. Um, the only exact date that Burke quoted in his confession, so clearly remembers this one. Yeah. Um, she was invited into Hare's house and she, they gave her loads of alcohol and she was like, so she was like really drunk and stayed in the in the lodging house. Yeah. Um, so they murdered her the normal, the usual way and he placed the body in a tea chest and sold it to Knox. They received £10 for each body, like from this point. Burke's confession records of Simpson's body says, in quotes, Dr Knox approved of it of its being so fresh, but he did not ask any questions. Then they think it was an unnamed Englishman who was traveling um, and he had sell matches and tinder and he fell ill with jaundice at his lodging. Ew. So he was concerned again that this might affect his business and they both killed him like in the usual way. Mm. Um, then, in either February or March of that year, like later on, an old woman was invited into the house by Margaret Hare and she gave her enough whiskey to fall asleep. And then when Hare returned that afternoon, he covered the sleeping woman's mouth and nose in the bed with the bed tick, which is a mattress cover. And then he left her. Uh, she was dead by nightfall and Burke joined his, compa his companion to transport it. Let me do that again. Um, she gave her enough whiskey to fall asleep and then when Hare returned that afternoon he covered the body with um, the bed tick which is like a stiff mattress cover and like left her there to basically suffocate under that. Um, mm. She was dead by night Paula Burke then came back and gave the body to Knox and he paid him another £10. So, Burke met two women in early April, Mary Patterson also known as Mary Mitchell and Janet Brown in mm -hmm. Edinburgh. He bought them alcohol before inviting them back to his lodging for breakfast and then the three left with bottles of whiskey and went to, instead to his brother's house. Then his when his brother left for work, Burke and the women um, 
finished the whiskey and they fell asleep at the table. Um, Burke and Brown continued to talk but were interrupted by McDougal who accused them of having an affair. Yeah. He's like, a no, honey. Row broke out. <laughs> no, honey, he's just trying to kill them. Um, so then they argued. So this is... Um, this is... Burke's girlfriend, mm-hmm. they had had a fight and he threw a glass at her and cut her over the eye. Um, Brown did not know that Burke was married and she left and McDougal also left and went to get hair and his wife. And then short, they arrived shortly afterwards and the two men locked their wives out of the room and then murdered her. So her came in like, don't worry, I'll talk to him. Don't worry about it. Like, I'll have a word with him and see what's going on. And yeah. then they went in and they were like, shall we kill this Let's get this over quickly you? whilst our wives are whining in the other room. Like, fucking women. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Um, that afternoon, the pair took the body to Knox again. Um, while McDougal kept Patson's skirt and petticoats. They were paid £8 for the corpse, which was still warm when they delivered it. No! So, Ferguson, one of Knox's assistants, asked where they got the body, as he thought he recognised her. Burke said that the girl had drunk herself to death and they purchased it from an old woman in Canongate, and Knox was delighted with the corpse and stored it in whiskey for three months before dissecting it. Imagine Ew. a glass of that. No. Bit of body whiskey. I've had a shot of tequila that had a maggot in it before. Brown later was searching for her friend, so the woman that left, and she was told that she'd left for Glasgow with a travelling salesman. So, early to mid-1828, Mrs Haldane, um, who Burke described as a stout old woman, stayed at his lodging house she became drunk she fell asleep in the stable and she was smothered in salt and ox several months later her daughter also lodged there she and burke drank heavily together and he killed her without hair's assistance her body was put into a tea chest and taken to Knox, where burke was paid eight pound she wasn't as good all that time (gasps) snake <laughs> so the next murder occurred in May 1828 when an old woman joined the house as a lodger. Um, one evening they got her drunk and Burke smothered her. Hair was not present in the house at the time and her body was sold to Knox for £10. Then there was a murder of Effie, who was a cinder gatherer, who scavenged through bins and rubbish tips to sell, find, sell her fat what she found in them. Um, Effie was known to Burke and had previously sold him scraps of leather for his cobbling business. He tempted her into the stable with whiskey and when she was drunk enough, he and Hare killed her. Knox gave them £10 for the body. Another victim was found by Burke, too drunk to stand, and she was helped. She was being helped by a local constable back to her lodgings. No. So by a policeman. Um, Burke offered to take her there himself and the policeman was like, yeah, sure. I'll let you go with this woman, this vulnerable drunk That woman. I was helping home. <laughs> it's it's the early 1800s. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Dickhead. They didn't know that then, though. That's like us saying it's 2019. Yeah, but you don't go home with a random man. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Burke took her back to Hare's house 
and then they killed her there. Surely um, his wife is like, where's all this extra money coming from? Like, are you a... He's like, have you not seen all the fucking shoes I'm making? <laughs> Do you even know anything then... about my business? How dare you? <laughs> and then they probably go into fight, like, you're never here, you're always at whoever's house mcdougall you're always with mcdougall and you're always out and it's like you've always got you've got no problem spending my money why are you asking me where i got it from that's probably more how it went down (laughs) yeah burke and Hare then murdered a further two lodgers in june an old woman this is in quotes by the way an Mm. old woman and and a dumb boy her grandson (laughs) (laughs) that dumb boy we're in a weird mood tonight (laughs) like (laughs) so while the boy sat by the fire in the kitchen, his grandmother was murdered in the bedroom by the usual method. They then picked up the boy and carried him to the same room where he was also killed. Um, Burke later said that this was the murder that disturbed him the most, as he was haunted by his recollection of the boy's expression. So then they used them, they basically used a tea chest again, carried them to Knox's house. Um... And they got eight pounds for each body. According to Burke's confession later, the barrel they basically put them in like a barrel and took them into Surgeon Square that way. Who who would have fucking known that it wasn't a body when you wheel a barrel into a fucking surgeon's like lab? And they're like, oh, what's that? And they're like, oh, it's just some books. That's what that's what the the history was about though. So basically, it was like they needed the for on one hand. Like they were like, oh well, clearly we need the like knowledge for it, but also it's kind of illegal. So they kind of mm-hmm. overlooked it. So they thought they were just grave robbers. I say just yeah. grave robbers, but at least they weren't killing people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know. According to Burke's confession, the barrel was loaded into a car. Hare's horse refused to pull further than the grass market, so he called like someone to help him, and like they carried it. And then mm. Hare took his anger out on the horse and shot the horse because it wouldn't drag it further. He's already killed yeah. someone. Surely he's got his anger out enough. On the 24th of June, Burke and McDougall went to Falkirk to visit McDougall's father. And Burke knew that Hare was short on cash and had even pawned some of his clothes for money. So when the couple returned, they found that Hare was wearing new clothes and had surplus money. After he was asked, Hare denied that he had sold another body. Burke checked with Knox, who confirmed Hare had sold a woman's body for £8. So it led to an argument and the two men came came to blows. And Burke and his wife moved into the home of his cousin. So basically, Hare did it. Burke did it, sorry. And then Hare did it. And they got in a Burke did it. And got away with it, and then Hare did it and didn't get away with it and bought new clothes yeah. and stuff. And then Burke was like, how dare you do this without me? Like, this is our thing. Yeah. The the argument didn't last very long, though. In late September or early October, Hare was visiting Burke when Miss Ostler, um, a washwoman, came to the property to do the laundry. So the men basically got her drunk and then killed her, and then the corpse gave the corpse to Knox again, and the men got £8 for it. A week or two later, one of McDougall's relatives, Anne Dougal, was visiting from Falkirk. After a few days, the men killed her by their usual technique. Yeah. And they got £10 for this body. Burke later claimed that this time, around this time, Margaret Hare suggested that killing Helen McDougall on the grounds that they could not trust her as she was a Scotch woman. <laughs> so the wives knew at all time what was going on. Oh, no. Yeah. 
So, Birkenhair's next victim was a um, was called James Wilson. He was an 18-year-old man with a limp caused by deformed feet. He was mentally disabled, and according to Alana Knight, who was a writer, um, was inoffensive, and he was known locally as Daft Jamie. Aww. Yeah. He lived in the streets and supported himself by begging, and in November, Hare basically said, if you, come in, you can come into my lodgings and have some whiskey, and sent his wife to go and fetch Burke. So the two murderers led Wilson into a bedroom, the door of which Margaret Hare locked before pushing the key back under the door. Wilson did not like excess whiskey. Right. <laughs> he preferred snuff. Oh. Um, so he wasn't drunk. Um, and he was also very strong from being on the streets and stuff. So he fought back against his attackers but was overpowered and killed in like the usual way. They stripped his body and of his few possessions um, and Bert kept a snuff box and hair a snuff spoon. Um, when the body was examined the following day by Knox, several of whom recognised it to be Wilson, um, but Knox denied that it could be... Sorry. Uh, when the body was examined the next day by Knox and his students, several of the students were like, oh, like we know who this is. And Knox is like, no, it can't be anyone you know. When word started circulating that Wilson was missing, Knox dissected the body ahead of the others that were being held in storage, and the head and the feet were removed before the main dissection. So he knew. Yeah. He was never um, tried for anything. The doctor was never tried for anything. Yeah. So, the final victim. So this is we've gone through this big old list. We're at the final victim now. Mm-hmm. Uh, was killed on the 31st of October, eight Halloween. Oh my god. <laughs> what a coincidence. And my first victim went missing on the 30th of October, so we've we've tied it in, you know. And we didn't even mean to. We were yeah. both like, oh no, we've not done Halloween ones, we've just done like, ah. Oh. <laughs> was Margaret Doherty, a middle-aged Irish woman. I love the last name, Doherty. Yeah, same. I was literally just I thinking. I really that. like it. So, um, Burke lured her into the house, into the lodging house, and claimed that his mother was also a doherty from the same area of Ireland, and that they began drinking together. At one point, Burke left doherty in the company of Helen McDougall while he went out, um, apparently to buy more whiskey, but he actually went to go get hair. And then two other lodgers, Anne and James Gray, were... um, basically like in the way so they paid them to stay at Hare's lodgings for the night rather than Burke so they could kill Doherty mm-hmm. and they claimed that Doherty was a relative so they, they kind of carried on drinking and stuff and Margaret Hare joined in so at 9pm the Greys returned to collect some clothing and stuff for their kids and they saw Burke, Hare and their wives and Doherty all drunk singing and dancing although Burke and Hare came like argued at some point in the evening um, and they they subsequently murdered Doherty and put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed. So, the next day the Greys returned and Anne became suspicious when Burke would not let her approach a bed where she'd left her stockings. Um, when they were left alone in the house, they searched the straw and found Doherty's body, showing blood and saliva on her face. On their way to alert the police, they ran into McDougall, who tried to bribe them with an offer of £10 a week and they refused. Um... So they reported the murder to the police. Burke and while they were doing that, Burke and Hare removed the body and took it to the took it to Knox's surgery. And the police 
search the police search they took it to Knox's surgery. The police search located Doherty's bloodstained clothing hidden under the bed and Burke and his wife gave different times for Doherty's departure from the house. Mm. So the police were like, hey, something's not adding up here. Something is afoot. <laughs> Probably. Early the next morning, the police went to Knox's dissecting rooms where they basically found Doherty's body and James Gray identified her as the woman he had seen with Burke and Hare. Hare and his wife were arrested the next that day um, or, and they all denied knowledge of anything. In total, 16 people were killed by Burke and Hare and Burke stated later that he and Hare were not generally were generally in a state of intoxication when the murders were carried out and could not get to sleep at night without a bottle of whiskey by his bedside and a two-penny candle to burn all night beside him. When he awoke, he would take a drink from the bottle, sometimes half a bottle, and that would make him sleep. He also took opium to ease his conscience. God, everyone's addicted to opioids, like... On the 3rd of November, 1828, a warrant was issued for the detention of Burke, Hare and their wives... Um, the four suspects were kept apart and statements taken and these they basically all conflicted because they were all lying mm-hmm. they were like um, yeah that's basically their investigation right then and there like <laughs> that's their whole investigation it's like let's just do different um, statements to see if they line up and they didn't so they forensic specialists examined Doherty's body and they reported that it was probable that the victim had been murdered by suffocation but obviously this couldn't be medically proven as part of the investigation they interviewed Knox um, who said that Burke and Hare had watched poor lodging houses in Edinburgh and purchased bodies before anyone claimed them for burial the um, investigator basically thought that Knox was deficient in principle and heart but did not think he had broken the law really? So, although the police were sure murder had taken place, um, they were unsure whether they could basically prove it. When Um, could they prove anything back in the 1820s? Yeah. So, (laughs) they couldn't, they couldn't, there was no bodies because they cut them up. Yeah. Um, And as this became public attention, newspapers began to publish, like, stories of, like, the crimes, the crimes, they didn't know what happens, they were just making stuff up. Um, and speculative reports led members of the public to assume that all missing people had been victims. So Janet Brown, the woman that left when McDougal came in and accused Burke of having an affair, went to the police and identified her friend Mary Patterson's clothing. <gasps> um, a local baker informed that Jamie Wilson's trousers were being worn by Constantine Burke's son. No. I mean, that's just gross. Yeah. And... On the nineteenth like, of November. Sorry. That's like Fred and Rosemary West. Yeah. Ugh. On the nineteenth of November, a warrant for the murder of Jamie Wilson was made against the four suspects. Good. The Lord Advocate at the time, Sir William Ray, um, focused on one individual to extract a confession from. Um so the others could be convicted from that confession. Hare was chosen for this, and on the 1st of December, he was offered immunity from prosecution if he turned everyone in, basically, and provided full details of the murder and Doherty and any other, because he could not be brought to testify against his wife. She was also exempt from the prosecution. Yeah. So, Hare made a full confession, 
<laughs> of all the deaths oh and Ray God. decided sufficient evidence existed to secure a prosecution. On the 4th of December, four more charges were laid against Burke and McDougall for the murders of Mary Patterson and James Wilson and Mrs Doherty. This is a statement by Burke in January 1829 in the Edinburgh Courant, which is like a newspaper. Dr Knox never encouraged him, neither taught nor encouraged him to murder any person. Sounds like he was just raring to take the bodies to cut up, though. Basically, yeah. So, Knox faced no charges for the murder because Burke's statement to the police exonerated the surgeon. Um, so, opinion was that against the doctor, basically, that Edinburgh thought he was a sinister ringmaster who Burke and Hare, who had Burke and Hare dancing to his tune. Mm-hmm. Um, and a 19th century Eng- Edinburgh rhyme says, up the clothes and da- doing the stair, but and Ben with Burke and Hare, Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief, knocks the boy that buys the beef. <gasps> oh my God! It makes you shiver, doesn't it? Yeah. I love that, though. So, McDougall was released at the end of the trial and went home. The following day, she went to buy a whiskey and was confronted by a mob who were basically like, you knew about all of this and you did nothing. Um, after she was taken to the police for her own protection and she escaped through a back window to the main police station. She tried to see Burke, but permission was refused, and she left Edinburgh the next day, and they basically went off the grid. Yeah. She probably changed her name, and there's no... Remarried. ...later on. Yeah. She's, like, got a big family. Someone's, like, great-great-grandma right there. Yeah. So... On the 3rd of January 1829, on the advice of both Catholic priests and, like, clergy, Burke made another confession, and this was more detailed than the official one before his trial, and he placed the blame for the murders on her. So, 16th of January 1829, there was a petition from James Wilson's mother and sister protesting against Hare's immunity. Yeah. Surely you don't give someone immunity for that. Yeah, but, again, 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this was given lengthy consideration by the High Court and rejected by a vote of 4-2. to two. Margaret Hare was released on the 19th of January and travelled to Glasgow to find a passage back to Ireland, and while waiting for the ship, she was recognised and attacked. She was given shelter in a police station before giving a police escort to a Belfast-bound vessel but, and then no one knows what happened to her when she landed in Ireland. Both of the women were like, I'm out. Yeah. So, are you ready for this? Mm. Burke was hanged on the morning of the 28th of January, 1829, in front of a crowd possibly as large as 25,000 people. <gasps> um, oh, my God. There were windows. They were, they were, <laughs> it was, like, in a courtyard, and people were like renting rooms views from windows for five to twenty shillings on the first of february his corpse was publicly dissected by professor monroe at the anatomy theater um, of the university's old college police had to be called when large numbers of students gathered demanding access to the lecture for which a limited number of tickets had been issued um during the procedure, which lasted two hours, 
Monroe dipped his quill pen in Burke's blood and wrote, this is written in the blood of W.M. Burke, who was hanged at Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head. <laughs> it's funny. This guy's a dick. And it's just ironic. Burke's skeleton was given to the Anatomical Museum of the Edinburgh Medical School, where, as, a, as of 2018, so definitely still now, it stays. It's still there. And there's a photo of his skeleton. Do you want to see? Should we go see it? Yeah. Where is it? That's his skeleton. Oh my god. So. Great condition. Um. I'd go. Bet they didn't keep that in whiskey for 30, however long. Six Three months. months. Oh. Three months. <laughs> his, death ma- his death mask and a book said to be bound with his tanned skin. No. Can be seen at a Surgeon's Hall Museum. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's a bit Ed Gein of you, isn't it? Like, come they on. were like, what weird shit can we do with this whisk guy? He deserves it. Come on, what are you thinking? A book? <laughs> Fuck it, let's do it. Oh, God. Right, so, hair was released on the 5th of February, 1829, um, and it said that his extended stay in custody had been undertaken for his own protection. He was assisted in leaving Edinburgh in disguise, and at one, but at one of his stops, he was recognised by a fellow passenger, um, and they told he told everyone else that's on this coach who he is. Um, as he arrived in D- Dumfries, the news of Hare's presence spread, and a large crowd gathered uh, where he was staying, um, and they were like throwing stones at the door and the windows, and street lamps were smashed before a hundred special constables arrived to restore order. He was basically taken out of the town again um, and told to basically make his way to the English border. There are no subsequent reliable sightings of him and his eventual fate is unknown. (gasps) Knox made no statements about his dealings with Burke and Hare and the common thought in Edinburgh was that he was culpable to the events. Um, A crowd gathered outside of his house in February of 1929 and burned an effigy of him. <laughs> a committee of <laughs> a committee of inquiry cleared him of complicity and reported they'd seen no evidence that Dr Knox or his assistants knew the murder was committed in procuring any of the subjects brought to his rooms. If two people are bringing you a shitload of bodies, they're not doing good things to get those bodies. No. It's illegal either way, he like. Dumb dumb. <laughs> If one's still warm, they've not been fucking buried. You know what I mean? He resigned from his position and was gradually excluded from university life by his peers. He left Edinburgh in 1842 and lectured in Britain and mainland Europe. While working in London, he uh, was debarred from lecturing and removed from the role of fellows at the Royal Society of Edinburgh in 1848. And then from 1856, he worked as a pathological anatomist in the Brompton Cancer Hospital and a medical practice in Hackney until his death in 1862. And they are the murders of Burke and Hare. Wow. That's fun. I know. I think I'm going to do some more old ones because I like them. Yeah, it's just so funny. Way back when. Like, the, obviously the murders aren't funny, but... Oh my God, this is like a hundred and something minutes long. Okay, what's your good thing for this week? You know, I was talking about that Lush job. Yeah? Had my group interview and I have a trial shift, so... Yay! 
They gave me a free bath bomb as well. I've been smelling it this oh, whole time. Can you get me a bath bomb? I mean, yeah, I can if I get the job. Yeah, if you get the job. What's your discount like? What's staff discount like? I don't know. I imagine it's quite good. I get paid £9 an hour if I work there, so... That's, that's well good. Yeah. I mean, that's my good thing. That's really good. That was a very good thing. I'm yeah. proud of you. Thanks. I was so scared because, you know, you have to, like, stand out at a group interview and you have to be really, like, yeah. cool and charismatic. Yeah, and everyone's and, trying like, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, there was one girl there that was doing, like, trying so hard and I was like, I'm not sure if she's trying too hard that she's just annoying now, but, like, I mean, I got the trial, so... Fuck, fuck you, Bryony. Tell you what, this is my happy thing this week. I bought the Mrs. Hinch activity book. A what? The Mrs. Hinch activity book. What's that? Oh my god. Right. Go look Mrs. Hinch Mrs. Hinch's home up on Instagram. She does like cleaning and stuff, but look at her house. She talks a lot about how like whenever she's feeling anxious, like really anxious, she doesn't sit there and think about something she would have got up and cleaned. And she literally started this Instagram account because she was really happy, like, her and her husband bought their first house, and then she was, like, basically, like, really happy with how it looked, so mm-hmm. she kept putting photos on her own Instagram, and then she was like, oh, my family's getting really annoyed by this, so she made us a home Instagram, and it's just basically taken off, because she talks all the time about how, like, whenever she's anxious and stuff, she cleans, and, like, she, and, like, it's just really cool, and she did, she just brought out an activity book, and it's really, like, you know, when you, it's not like, it's like mind meditation. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's really good. I bought her book on, um, I didn't buy it. I used the credit on Audible, but I got her book on oh. Audible. She brought out a book first and then she brought, then she brought out the activity book. And I must have pre-ordered it when I was drunk and I don't remember it. And I got the email like, you know, you don't, you don't ever get surprise parcels anymore because you get emailed about everything before it comes to your house. Yeah. So. I got an email like, oh, arriving today. And I was like, oh, my God. A little drunk present from me to me. (laughs) And then I sat down and did it that night. And it was the night of my mental breakdown. And I was like, oh, my, this is actually what I needed. Yeah. So, yeah. God, I never do stuff like that drunk. The worst thing I do on my phone drunk is, like, to be fair, I don't really do anything. I just forget I have a phone. (laughs) I bought Gary a beard kit once when I was drunk. (laughs) Like, I just don't buy it, shit. It like when arrived I'm drunk. at the house. I just did it. We were out in a club, and then I like you know when you like remember it in a flashback, but you didn't remember it at the time. And then I had an email like your order arriving today, and I was like, oh, Gary, I got your <laughs> present. It was like twenty five quid as well. This is back when we first seen each other, though, so we spent money on each other. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about boys when you first start dating them, and now like, so I, like dated a guy last year for like three months, right? And then you know, he stopped He stopped it because he was like, oh, I'm just stressed out at the moment. I, like, see you more as a friend. And I was like, okay, no worries. Took it well. Didn't ever speak to him again. Removed him off Snapchat, you know. <laughs> Cleared my mind. Kept him on Instagram, though, because I feel like that's a bit more formal. And then, like, a month later, he messaged me, like, I've, Amy, I made such a mistake and all of this shit. And I'm there, like, sorry, I'm really busy at the moment, so I can't meet you for a drink. <laughs> And then, this year, he messages me every time he goes out. Hey, you going out tonight would be good to see you. He messaged me last night. Hey, you going union tonight? And I was like, wait an hour. Oh, sorry, who is this? I waited an hour and I was like, no, have a good night though. You should just reply like, sorry, who is this? Don't have your number saved. Mate, it's it's on Instagram DMs. It's the only way he has to contact me. 
<laughs> it's funny oh, as fuck. One time he messaged me at 2am saying Amy, and that was it. And I replied the next morning at like 8am, like going to my normal like day-to-day routine, just saying, George. I've just outed him, but <laughs> it was so fucking funny. I crave attention, so it's great. And on that note, <laughs> follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on Spotify. Please follow us on Spotify. I want yeah, that's the most important one. We've got, a, we've got a we're going to do a push this week. I'm going to do a push this week. But follow us on Spotify because that's really important to us that we get to 100 before the end of the year. That'll be our Christmas present from you to us. Oh. You don't know us, but we're in your ears, so. Speak to you next, to you week. next week. See you have to later. guide me through this like I'm a child. Goodbye. <laughs> no. Love you all. Don't get murdered. Speak Goodbye. to you later. Goodbye. Speak to you next